There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999. I'm your host, Phil Iskov, and with me today is Hilary Busis, Senior Editor at Vanity Fair. She's here to talk to us about Episode 213, The Games People Play. Um, but before we get into this episode, I want to rewind, go back to 1999 for a second. Did you watch this show in 99? Did it come into your life later? How did it come into your life, and what is it that still uh, speaks to you about the show? So in 1999, uh, that was the year that I turned 11, um, which... Uh, you weren't watching the show at 11. I was not watching the show. I was reading a lot of Judy Bloom, which in retrospect, I think was preparing me to 100%. eventually. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, like that was, I think probably the year that I like kind of transitioned from like spending every afternoon looking for Narnia into checking uh-huh. out forever from the library and reading the dirty parts out loud to my friends <laughs> at recess. Um, a, a bit of a Samantha. I was going to say, that's, that's pretty, that's, that's amazing. Um, But yeah, so wasn't aware of the show in 99 itself, uh, Mm -hmm. except for, I guess, in the way that anybody was, if I saw it on magazine covers or whatever. Um, But yeah, definitely by high school, I was watching it with my friends. Um, This is, this is going to, I mean, I can't say that it's going to date me. I already told you that I was born in the year 1988, but, but uh, so we would rent the Sex and the City DVDs from Blockbuster Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was how we first got exposed to the show. And then, uh, I remember very distinctly spending like my entire spring break, sophomore year, just binging it. Um, because at that point we had on demand on our cable, which was a very big deal at the time. That's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So watched the entire series. Then I think it had just, it must've just ended because I think 
oh four was the finale. Oh four is when it ended. Yeah. Yeah. So I caught up with the entire thing like right then. Um, and I think that I came to it in the way that a lot of millennial women came to it in that I watched it and it was aspirational and I, I took exactly the wrong thing away from it, I guess. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, these, they're so cool. They're in their thirties. Yeah. They, they live alone and they go out and they drink drinks that are pink and like, oh my God, <laughs> one day, one day, maybe that could be me. Um, my, I, I went to Columbia primarily because I spent high school wanting to live in New York. And that was because of a combination of Sex and the City and Rent. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Which is sort of like... Quite, the, the, quite worst, the mixture, yeah. Yeah, the two worst examples that you can have set for what it's going to be like when you move to New York. So in where did... I'm sorry, if I, forgive me, but where did you grow up? Um, oh, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, which felt very far away from New York City. Sure, sure. Um, it's it, Pittsburgh is a weird kind of city in that when you live there, you kind of can convince yourself that you live on the East Coast, um, <laughs> but everywhere else will consider you Midwestern. But like when I was there, I was like, oh, you know, Philadelphia is on the East Coast and we're in the same state. So yeah. given the transitive property. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That tracks. Yeah. Because I mean, as we know, Philadelphia is very sophisticated as well. <laughs> So, so do you feel like this, so you're 11 when it comes out, but you don't watch it for a few years after that, obviously. No, and not until you, I'm like 15, 16. 15, 16. Do you feel like it affected the way that you, I, I, I mean, I, I, obviously we've had a lot of female guests on here for this, for this mini series. Um, not just because the show is, let's be real, aimed primarily at women for the most part, but also just because I want to sort of... How dare you? I'm sorry. I mean, I, I, listen, I own all the box sets, so I'm fine with it. But I'm just, I'm just, there's a part of me that just feels like there's a spectrum of ways that women sort of internalize this show. And I'm curious as to sort of what a 15, 16-year-old Hillary felt like the takeaways were about the relationships between men and women. Again, definitely all the wrong things. Um, like, I was of the age and of the temperament to see Carrie and Big's relationship and think, like, oh, this is so romantic. Like, she's pining for him and, like, he's pushing her away. But really, secretly, he wants to be with her, which is not, I think, actually what – that's what Carrie thinks, but it's not, I think, actually what's happening. Yeah. Um, like, if she's – if he's just not that into you, it had happened way earlier in the show, then Carrie maybe could have, like, gone on with her life and <laughs> done – different exactly. made different choices yeah but so of course like when I was watching this and like at the time I have like a crush on like an unattainable boy and so like I, I feel like I definitely it's it's the dynamic that you see play out in so many romantic comedies and even other types of entertainment especially around this time so it's not like Sex in the City is fully to blame at all for like propagating this idea that like an unattainable like withdrawn emotionally frigid man is like a prize to be won and like if you can change him and fix him then like that's the greatest love of all um but that's totally what I took away from it which in retrospect like absolutely absolutely I should have just been looking at like Stephen Miranda and I think I feel like they've got the only healthy relationship on the show and she's still really mean to him a lot of the time so now that I say that I think I think Charlotte and Harry have a good relationship by the but end. But she's also really mean to him for a lot of But the time. she is pretty shitty to him for Well, yeah. she's yeah, because she's superficial and and yeah. feels and as though, he, yeah. Yeah, and she puts up with so much and she yeah, she like 
she gets mad at him for having a hairy back in the Hamptons. And it's like, this is just what he looks like. And bald and sweating and all these things. Yeah, the teabag's fine. The teabags are gross, but I'll give her that. Yeah. I mean, I do think that, I mean, the the Carrie-Big relationship is complicated because it feels like, you know, being a TV writer, there's the there's the push and pull of it, you know what I mean? Which is that you need to kind of... They right, are, if there's not tension, unquote, then right. it's not an interesting story. Right, and if they are endgame, which I guess they decided sometime in the early, probably season one of the show, you have to constantly put wedges in between them and find, you know, hurdles in order for difficulties and what have you. So I, I, I don't want to hold that entirely against Big's character because I don't necessarily think it's entirely his fault. Some of it is just the nature of writing television. But yeah. I do think that... Um, my my issues watching it this time with the relationship have more to do with uh, Carrie and why she keeps going back for more sort of emotional abuse from him is maybe the more damning thing I would say. It's this, yeah. I, this, this, as you were speaking of this sort of this unattainability of his character, um, but this, this relentlessness on her part to somehow find a way to make it work that feels, um, pretty sad <laughs> I mean, I just, oh, completely. <laughs> yeah which is why by the way she should have stayed in therapy we're she, gonna get to that because yeah. i want to talk about that i want to talk about carrie and mental health in a second but um because <laughs> i do feel like you there's, there's, a, yeah, lot to, feel there's like, a lot to unpack there yeah she but, has like her own section in the dsm she should <laughs> i mean truly I, I there's a part of me too that feels like um and I talked about this on a, on a, on a, on another on another episode. I can't remember which one, but just this idea that like your lead character of a television show, unfortunately, has to kind of be a Swiss Army knife in a lot of ways, and they're protected in ways that other characters aren't, and they're a little bit more of sort of the voice of the audience sometimes. So, I protected do feel in like, that like nothing really bad can happen to them. Or- correct. Yeah. They can't. I mean, I'll, I'll say this, and and I spoke with Emily Nussbaum about this in the first episode about the antihero that is Carrie Bradshaw, and and sort of the the glass ceiling that the character broke in terms of being messy and broken and being able to do fucked up things, which is a very much an HBO thing, but also just sort of changed the dynamics of what a female protagonist in a romantic comedy scenario can and can't do. But I still think that Carrie is kind of protected in the fact that they don't want her to do... I mean, I think her cheating on Aiden is probably the biggest, most damning thing that she does, I think, if you, yeah. in terms of, like, from a soapy character perspective. And I think that they were... I mean, from interviews and what have you, Michael Patrick King was worried about that. Like, was the audience going to go on this ride with her now, knowing that she had done this continue to do this terrible thing. And I I mean, they wouldn't have if she and Big weren't endgame and like people watching Correct. the show didn't think that. Correct. Even if, yes. So it's it's just, it's interesting to I'm see also sort an, of I'm how, also sorry. an on the record Aiden hater. So I just feel like I should get that out right now. I think that cheating on him was bad, but also that he sucks. And that that is something we should, we should acknowledge both things at the same time. Interesting. I, can no, you, can you unpack that you. for me? What is it about yeah. him that, that is... No, no, please, please, please. What is it about Aiden that you don't, what, what is it about that relationship that you didn't like? Well, so I feel like there is a way in which the Carrie-Aiden dynamic kind of replicates the Carrie-Big dynamic, except that Aiden is Carrie and Carrie is big. And he... <laughs> That's amazing, yeah. Yeah, so I think that he has, he's more in love with the idea of her than he is of her herself. And he keeps on trying to change her. He keeps, he tries to turn her into somebody who enjoys going to the country and somebody who enjoys 
eating a bucket of chicken in front of the TV and somebody who doesn't smoke and like all of these things that are pretty intrinsic to her character. And like, you can say that these things are good or bad that she, you know, is always going at that she's always out and that she has these sometimes superficial interests and all these things. But like, that is who she is. And like, if he just wants to be like, dating a quirky writer, but one who has all the same interests as him, then I don't think that Carrie is the right person for him. And I think that she really like tries to contort herself into his idea of her. And that's why they don't work. Like, because I just think that from the beginning, they're looking for like, he does really love the actual Carrie who is messy and shitty a lot of the time and selfish. And Mm -hmm. she really wants to like, be with him because he's this like stable, relatively normal. I don't know. He also has a very annoying voice, but that's kind of petty of me. Um, (laughs) How do you really feel about (laughs) John Corbett? I wish John Corbett the best. My big fat Greek wedding. Great romantic comedy. Like that's great. Yeah. But Aiden, Aiden as a character, I think that he, I don't think he's an unrealistic kind of person, but I do think that he is shitty in his own way and that that gets kind of papered over because obviously big is so much worse. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't disagree in the sense. I, I really love that take of he is the sort of the carry to her carry big. Like, I think that's a really interesting uh, theory. I, I would also say too, that I think that season three Aiden is a lot less interesting than season four. For Aiden, when he's like punishing her, yeah, he's punishing yeah. her, and and he's he's grappling with some shit that I think mm-hmm. is interesting. Like he he's actually sort of trying to imagine a future with this person, right? Like he's really trying to sort of bend himself to a certain degree, and she's like they are they're trying to actually make it work in season four. In season three, he feels like a foil. He feels like a thing that's just sort of there, and he's um, re- a nice he's guy. Really rebound, yeah, yeah. So I, I I agree with you that that he's that he's not as interesting as season three. I I mean, and I don't disagree. They they certainly shouldn't have ended up together. But I do think that Aiden's a better person than Big. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so. that's uh, you're. It's not a great leap to be a better person <laughs> than Big. Sure. Who is your favorite uh, of her Cruz, of her but... paramours? Who is your favorite of, of Carrie's paramour? Oh, my favorite of her boyfriends, I think. I mean, I really wish that she could have made it work with, I think, the second time she dates Justin Thoreau. <laughs> sure, sure. Because yeah. his family is really cool. And yeah. I feel like that would have been yeah. like good for her to have like mm-hmm. Valerie Harper as that great role model. I don't I don't care about him himself. Um, I feel like the only decent guy she ever meets is, I forget, it's in the episode where the theme is Freaks. And she just yeah, like, meets, yes, yes. yeah, she just Tweet, meets like a Tweety normal Bird, Tweety Bird tattoo. Yeah. 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 She meets like a normal guy outside of like, in like by a yeah. fountain in Central Park or something. And he seems great. And then she scares him off and realizes that she's the freak. I feel like he's like the only decent person that Carrie ever actually dates. What does, does that not speak volumes that the nicest guy that she met is the one she freaked out in front of yes. the most and acted the most psychotic is and fair enough. Perfect. Somebody that we know for, three minutes of screen time. So yeah. I don't know. He yeah. could have bodies buried somewhere. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? I, I mean, I'll say this. I think that she, you know, I, I was watching there were, you know how obviously it's on E it feels like perpetually they're constantly airing the butchered version of the show. And for whatever reason, if I stumble upon it, I still watch it, which goes to show something. I'm not sure what. Oh but yeah. Last it's, night, the most, it's the most like 
easy like cardigan you slide it on you just like watch it and even if it's the bad Mm -hmm. censored version you like Mm -hmm. i can't help watching sex in the city all the time too so I watched a I watched a couple episodes from the from the top of season six, which is the the burger stuff, and I think that like there is a version of burger that first of all is just dialed way down. Like there's just too much of like him trying to be like witty writer guy, which is just too much. But I really like Ron Livingston, and they do have a nice chemistry together. And I think that there's a version where I could have seen her possibly ending up with a burger type person. Yeah, no, totally. I think that he would make a lot of sense for her yeah. if he could get over whatever his weird insecurities yeah, sure. are. Um, <laughs> sure. But that does seem like a big ask also. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So this particular episode, which is episode 213, Games People Play, I'm going to give a brief synopsis. Carrie starts going to therapy after obsessing over Big for too long. Offended by the diagnosis of dating men who are wrong for her, she dates cute fellow patient Seth, played by John Bon Jovi of all people, a guy who loses interest in women after sleeping with them. Miranda plays peekaboo with her cute across-the-airshaft neighbor, and Samantha dates a sports uh, fanatic whose mood depends on who won the game that night. Games People Play aired on August 29th, 1999. It was written by Jenny Bix, directed by Michael Spiller. It ended up at number 86 of 96 episodes on Vulture's list, saying Ouch. important niche takeaway this time. Carrie goes to therapy to deal with her big issues, which, good idea. This is also the episode where she dates John Bon Jovi, a fellow patient who, not good idea. Moving on. That's basically their review. Um so uh, I, I kind of want to break it down by storylines because it feels, even though Charlotte kind of doesn't really have a storyline in this episode, she supposedly had one, but I guess it got cut. Uh, her storyline involved her joining a bridge club to meet a nice man or something. <laughs> I don't know. A nice uh, 90-year-old man? <laughs> I was going to say, I don't really I don't really get it, but that happened apparently. Um, so I, I want to sort of come at it sort of uh i want to leave the carry storyline for last because it feels like the the biggest thing to, to unpack but the uh the general idea is the episode opens with carrie talking to her friends obviously they're tired of her talking about big so much claiming that she's over him when all she does is talk about him um samantha has a great line where she says we're as fucked up as you are it's like the blind leading the blind which is i mean kind of perfect and great they tell her she needs to go to a therapist um <clears throat> So Miranda, I want to start with this Miranda storyline because I have issues with this Miranda storyline. <laughs> poor Miranda. That's my that's my takeaway. <laughs> but it's yes, it's poor Miranda, but it's also like this is strange and in a in a way that so essentially Miranda sees a guy across the hall across the 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 air building shaft. across from hers. Yeah, air shaft. Um <laughs> who starts essentially like stripping for her and kind of like flirting with her um would you ever in a million years like would any human being ever partake in a situation like this <sighs> i mean the the twist in the story of course winds up being that um spoiler why would i say spoiler there's no dumb. we're talking about the storyline go for it yeah, yeah. um is that uh he has actually been cruising apparently the guy who lives <laughs> right Hello. underneath Miranda, which also the fact that he recognizes her means that he has been looking at her, like showing her tits to him, which is so humiliating. Like, 
It's, so, I mean, the whole thing is humiliating for Miranda. So, and like, I gotta say, they really pile the humiliating stuff onto Miranda. Like, she eats cake out of the garbage <laughs> at some point. This is true. She does eat cake out of the garbage. She yeah, eats the an whole, entire cookie that says, yeah. I love you. Oh my God. Um, yeah, so the, the show is fresh in my mind because I watched it again when I was on maternity mm-hmm. leave, which was last year. Um, so. It's, it's helpful for like because when I was watching again, I was just cataloging all of the absolutely humiliating things that happened to Miranda because it just get piles on her. There's a whole episode where her B plot is that she's in love with her Tebow. <laughs> I the other thing about this storyline that I find a little upsetting, and I don't know if it's subtext, and I like to think that it's not, but there's a little bit of like this is why Miranda goes to therapy. Like this idea that like oh, Miranda she makes an emergency is... appointment. At the end. <laughs> right, right. Which she does. Um, and, and this idea of, and they kind of tack on this in the VO, this imaginary friend thing, which is new, which comes out of kind of nowhere. I love how um, sex in the city does that, how they'll be like, Oh, you know, my oldest friend, here's Charlotte's brother. We'll never see him. He's not going to come to either of her weddings. <laughs> Yeah, no, they do this. They do this a fair amount. I mean, and part of it is that they sometimes lean into the procedural component of the show, and sometimes they want to be a serialized show. They want to be serialized when it comes to sort of the the soap and the character stuff, which is fair. Which is why you would think that Charlotte's brother would feature more prominently uh, down the road. But I guess or at least just show up one more time. Mm-hmm. You would think. But uh, but the Miranda storyline, essentially, she starts flirting with this guy across the air shaft. She starts flashing him at a certain point. She then goes to a supermarket at the end where she sees him. And in classic Miranda form, she, like, kind of saddles up to him at, like, the frozen food section and, like, tries to be, like, subtle about it. And there's, like, but, like, come on, dude. Like, why aren't you recognizing me? He's an asshole to her, though. Like, he is a bitchy asshole to her for kind of no reason. Yeah, that's true. He doesn't have to be a bitch. He could just sort of be like, Ugh, awkward. Yeah, no, I'm actually not flirting with you. I'm flirting with the guy below you. Sorry. Like, be funny about it, but he's shitty about it. And I don't quite he is. get why that I gotta, is. I gotta also say that, I mean, getting on Sex of the City, like, for not being entirely logical is a little silly, but that somehow every single time he's flirting with the guy across the street, Miranda also happens to be looking out her window and happens to be like doing things that he appears to react to. That's, that's a little far-fetched. Let's just say that. It's, it's a little far-fetched. And also if I, if he was actually looking at somebody else, eye lines would come into play too. Like you would, would you would notice. start to, yeah. So, at some point she's perceptive. She's a lawyer. Like yeah, she's a smart person. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a sad storyline for Miranda this week. I will say that she, I agree with you. They do tend to pile it on with her. It's to Cynthia Nixon's unbelievable talents and abilities to sort of imbue her, not just with humanity and make her into a real person, but also not to make her seem like a sad sack either. Like she doesn't ever feel that way. Um, but yeah, this season, it just feels like she really, I mean, she meets Steve. So I guess that's, that's all fine and good. But, um, the other storyline is Samantha, they go to, so this is a weird thing. They go to a sports bar. I feel like this is why the episode is ranked so poorly because wait, I, I wrote down, Please, yeah, yeah. I wrote down something that Carrie says when they find the sports bar. Sports night, every female's fantasy, a room full of attractive heterosexual men all looking to be distracted during commercial breaks. Are you kidding me? Speaking for all heterosexual women, I cannot tell you a single thing I would rather do 
less than go to a sports bar on game night. Are you kidding me? I know. That is know. the seventh circle of hell. Like, I would it, not well, ever the show, voluntarily the show, do that. <laughs> the show definitely twists itself into pretzel sometimes to hit its themes, which I think you obviously can attest to. You know, they, you sell, have, pretzels, they sell pretzels at sports games, so you're doing do. it too. <laughs> it's, a part of it, I think, is they only have 22, 24 minutes. There's not a lot of real estate. I mean, even in this episode, Charlotte doesn't get a storyline. So, you know, they, they definitely sort of, uh, you know, it is what it is. But I do feel like them going to a sports bar, it would be, it would honestly, I would rather have them stumble into a sports bar. They you know? go there on purpose, yeah. I know. It's insane. I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. But they go to this sports bar. Samantha immediately lasers in on some guy who, like, looks at her for half a second, goes, goes to the bar, uh, starts talking to this guy. His name is Don, and he imports Mexican handbags, which is a very specific <laughs> thing that I'm just like, sure. Yeah, is this uh, one which of I never things, touch on again. Yeah, is this one of those things that we look at and are like, come on, but then somebody in the Sex and City writers room would be like, well, actually, my boyfriend, Ron... <laughs> <laughs> well that so I have had the I've had the pleasure of interviewing uh a couple writers so far on the show. Uh Amy B Harris came on and and uh Cindy Chupak as well. Uh hopefully there will be more to come, but what I think is interesting is they talked about that. Like how the room was very much a sort of cathartic safe space where it was all about the most of them were either single or some of them were single talking about it seems like all of this stuff for the most part starts from a place of reality and then obviously they turn it into a into a, a comedy, but um, she meets this guy Don. He's he's over the he's very into sports. Uh, Samantha finds that a turn on. I find it hard to believe that Samantha has never crossed paths with a man who's into sports before. <laughs> Just knowing everything we know about Samantha, this is completely wrong. Why would she ever be interested in this dude? I feel like, especially in the early seasons, too, the show has this weird habit of the guys just not being very attractive that like, Mm -hmm. these are four gorgeous women who like really make an effort. And they're always like with these like very regular looking like Chino wearing, like this is what, this is what the casting people think like Sarah Jessica Parker and Kim Cattrall like could get, I don't know. I I find that also like an affront it's true. It's true. I mean, it feels like the one-off guys yeah. tend to fall into that category of just the, sort of like, the real boyfriends are yeah. are more charismatic and yeah. Yeah. generally better looking, and and quite frankly, better actors. So yes. there's that too. Um, but she, it, it's it's so. The theme of this episode is the games people play when it comes to dating and how it affects their mental health. So there's a literal component to Samantha's storyline, which is that this guy is obviously obsessed with sports. He can only or only chooses to have sex with her when his team is winning. By the way, and also I, like Samantha doesn't have guys in reserve that she can just go have sex with at like yeah, she's yeah, of course. Why would she ever only have like it's insane? Maybe if Charlotte had dated this guy, it would make sense, but it doesn't make any sense for Samantha. There's also, I mean, you're you you live in New York, correct? You're a New now, Yorker. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Knicks suck, so you're not having <laughs> sex a lot. Um, well, I don't know what they were like in I don't know what they were like in 1999. It's possible they were better then. Um, but yeah, so it's it's sort of this. Um, it's a very broad storyline. Ultimately, it ends where the Knicks win the final game. She thinks it's going to be great, and then he's like, 
now he's into the Mets because it's the Mets to whatever. Uh, and she's like, fuck it, I'm out of here. So it's 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 a very sort of broadly comedic Samantha storyline, which is fine um, in an episode where uh, Carrie's storyline is a lot meatier. And her storyline essentially is about the fact that that everyone says she needs to go to therapy. We need to talk about... Carrie and Charlotte's perspectives on, on mental health and psychiatry and therapy. Yeah, uh, I think that that's a thing that feels very of its era. Is so that, that's that's ultimately my question, right? Like, I, I like to believe that if and when the revival lands on our HBO oh, yeah, Max, we'll, we'll talk about that at the end. Uh, I, I do kind of feel like I hope that there's a progression in terms of the way that, that they perceive things because the show is not as it's progressive for 99, I guess. Now it's, it's always sort of like the first one through the wall gets bloody. Right. So this idea that like they were the first ones to talk about a lot of things and did they go as far as they needed to? Probably not, but I respect that they took the swings. It's why I'm surprised it's so regressive when it comes to mental health. Yeah, no, totally. And uh, especially, I mean, The Sopranos is on around the same time and it, it, like, it has a much more, like, nuanced view of mental health and therapy when you, and that's is, Tony I mean, Soprano of all people. Yeah, no, I mean, they're, yeah. they're airing at the same time. Um, yeah. just weird when you think of it, but yeah, no, Sex and the City has a very, a very skeptical view of, of therapy, kind of it makes it seem like mental health problems are kind of made up, um, that if you, if you can just buckle down, you can solve these things on your own. Like Miranda and Stanford are both portrayed as being kind of silly for seeing therapists, like as though it's this kind of self-centered thing that they're doing. And like yep. Stanford points out Carrie's therapist, like sees Gwyneth Paltrow also. So it's like a status thing. Yeah. It's, it's very from a 2021 lens. It's very uh, strange. I also love that the Gwyneth Paltrow line is so blatantly ADR that I'm just like, <laughs> was it somebody else when they shot it? And they were like, we can't say that name anymore. I don't know. But, but that's uh, another thing that Sex and the City is out in the front of is making fun of Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, this is true. Way ahead of the game on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that it doesn't surprise me from Charlotte. And, and that's not to say that Charlotte is a caricature, but it, it, based on her, I mean, literally she has a line where she says, my parents don't believe in therapy. We just play a lot of tennis. Yeah, so which like, is what I would think tries. of a wasp yes. from Connecticut. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Carrie, it surprises me that she thinks therapy is bullshit. Um, and I don't know if that's reactionary in terms of the whole and, you know, dare I say his name, the whole neurotic Woody Allen kind of therapy, New Yorker kind of persona um, that they were trying to sort of shun a little bit or to show that she was different in that perspective. I don't necessarily think that that Carrie seems like a person that would be so short-sighted on that particular thing. It surprised me. She was um, generally open-minded and, yeah. you know, she'll she'll kiss Alanis Morissette at a party. Like, why not? So it is right? kind yeah. of... Yeah, strange that she doesn't have more of a, more of like a wait and see kind of attitude about it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, and again, like it really could have helped her if she had just given it a try. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's, yeah, it's, it's one of those things too where at first I was like, okay, I get it. Carrie's going to be against therapy at the end of the, at the beginning of the episode, but she's going to see the error of her ways by the end of the episode and she'll, and, and it'll end with like, and I'm going to see a new therapist and we just won't ever see her do therapy again. But instead she learns fucking nothing from <laughs> any of the episode about therapy, about herself, about really anything. And then just says, I'm not going to this therapist again because I can't bump into Seth in the waiting room credits i'm and just it's like too bad, did, yeah it's too bad that she's the only therapist in new york that she doesn't have like a different appointment time that carrie could possibly try to make it's it's to me it's also and i, I hate to say this because i mean whatever but like it feels like you're leaving money on the table too from a writing perspective if you've got like leave that door open for future therapy sessions if you decide that you want to go there or whatever um and again maybe you know listen sopranos premieres literally in 99 so it's possible that they're just like we're not going back to the therapy well yeah maybe they just thought that it would seem too similar which i would understand they're on the same sure. network they're both very buzzy sure and it's it, it's just i'm i'm just it's it's downright shocking to me that carrie doesn't by the end of the episode see the possible positive effects of therapy. Um, and that the, yeah. the what she says at the beginning of the episode that like Carrie and Samantha and Miranda all dismiss. She's like, who needs therapy? I've got you guys. But like, <laughs> I don't know. It shouldn't be her friend's responsibility to get her to be well-adjusted. Nope. It's also, so this, so essentially Carrie goes to this, this doctor, uh, Dr. G uh, who has an office that looks like an alien spaceship. It's all white. <laughs> uh, and, There's like weird uh, toys on the shelves. Like, yes. I don't know if that's like a, like a Rorschach thing. It's very strange. Um, Carrie also says something when, when she's talking with her friends uh, earlier. She says, therapy is so self-indulgent. And I want to be like, Carrie, you are <laughs> Meet Carrie the Bradshaw. most self-indulgent person ever. Uh, but that's whatever. Uh, so she she goes to the Dr. G um, and she has a session, which I guess she doesn't find particularly helpful, where the, where the doctor tells her that she chooses the wrong men. Spoiler, the doctor's right. Um, and, <laughs> and, and then four more seasons continue to prove <laughs> yeah. her right. But, but they, they go for a walk, the four of them, and they start talking about the idea of games. Charlotte thinks the games are empowering. This surprises me not a one bit. Um, but they talk about this idea of the games that men and women play um, when they're dating and when they're sort of circling other people. I think there's some legitimacy to the idea that people play games when they're dating. There's the, you know, who who has the better poker face, who can pretend like they like the other person less. Yeah, like, this just is like this, the era of the rules, I think. Yeah, like, what's yeah. that out around now? It's all that sort of bullshit. Um, 
the the shot of Carrie reaching to the top of her bookshelf to a stack of board games felt a little <laughs> on the nose. Just slightly. Oh, and then they play Twister. And then they play Twister later. Fairly ridiculous. Yeah. It also is the return, weirdly, of the Talking Heads shit, which I hate, of the man on the street stuff, which I... I don't. They, they kill that in season two at some point. Yes, it doesn't okay. show up in season three. I don't. I thought it was done by this point. I mean, we're at episode thirteen. We've gone at least five or six episodes without it. So I was surprised that hmm. it popped back up again. Especially when you look at like, you didn't give Charlotte a storyline, but you decided to give like a minute and a half to this bullshit. I, I just I don't. <laughs> I, don't I, I don't really get it. Um, the other thing that this episode reminded me of is the David Duchovny episode in season six, where she gets back together with her high school boyfriend and he's in a mental institution. He has, he has put himself in a mental institution, essentially. Um, I'm sure there's some way that that's Carrie's fault. A hundred percent. That I don't doubt. But but it's just interesting how this show treats mental health. Uh, it 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 it. it it's jokey. It's, it's very it's jokey. jokey. Yeah. Um, you know, and someone who is in therapy, myself, I, I do feel like, I don't know. I, I get that it's a joke. I get that sometimes you can make fun of it. Like, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with finding the humor in it. That's all fine and good. Um, but when people don't see, like, it, like David Duchovny's character does feel like he believes that this is helping him. So I don't mean to suggest that that they're deriving. So maybe it in that maybe episode. yeah, they uh, had evolved their yeah. views at some point. That's kind of what I'm I'm hoping. Yeah. Um and it's understandable why Carrie decides, you know, um to not keep dating a guy who's decided to put himself into a mental facility. That feels that feels like the right play. <laughs> um so of course if Big had put himself into a mental hospital, she would like take out her candy striper uniform. Get right in there. Do whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, here, here's my question for you. Um, Seth, as a character, doesn't really have one. No. Uh, he, he shows up in the waiting room, asks her out. Um, I would never ask out a person <laughs> that was in the waiting room at my therapist's office. Uh, it, it feels, first of all, um, inappropriate. Uh, <laughs> but it also just feels like... Uh, you're asking for it. Like you're, 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 yeah. 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 I mean, I think it, it kind of goes to the shows or at least this episode's like view of like, it doesn't seem like an accident that the therapy plot is in an episode that's themed around games. Like it, it doesn't take it seriously. And so I think it's totally appropriate, like in the world of the show then for this to happen because the show doesn't believe in the value, or I mean, at least at this point doesn't seem to really believe in the value of yeah. you know talking out your problems with a professional. I mean, I'm just I'm surprised that it didn't just go one step further, and it's a male psychiatrist, and she just starts dating her shrink. Like, I mean, I, I just I mean, it, it's it, that does but, seem like something the show would do, right? <laughs> I mean, but I the thing that that was sort of weird about the Seth of it all is. He, I mean, okay, I, I get that John Bon Jovi's an attractive guy. Uh, so I guess ultimately it was more of just a kind of stunt casting, fun, cute thing to do. Um, and I think when it ends up being John Bon Jovi, on some level, uh, he's imbued with more interest just because he's John Bon Jovi. I, I think so, yeah. If it had just been like rando, Don, Mexican handbag dealer guy, then <laughs> yeah. you would understand less, less, yeah, why Carrie was yeah. like going against whatever judgment she has to date a guy For who's sure. the same therapist as her. 
So she she goes on a date with him. They go to dinner. Uh, then they go out again. He comes over to her place. They play Twister together. Which I mean, the Twister scene is cute. I mean, it's I'm not cute. I'm not I'm not made of stone. Um, <laughs> but um, oh, she's then, wearing the most she's wearing the most ridiculous outfit. I I feel like I have to point out she's has these like bright yellow hot pants. This like basically bra top. It's just a halter and it's a it's a cropped halter. Like, I mean, she looks amazing. And in these enormous heels, it's like very, it feels very carry, but it also is very impractical to be playing Twister in. A hundred percent. She, I mean, it does feel like, and and like everything on Six and City, that it's a tee up to a joke, which is that later she's like, yellow pants came off um, because of the Twister. They can't resist. Can't, they can't resist. Um, it, it's... It's a cute scene. They have sex. Carrie asks Seth. And this is, I have to say, every now and then, the show really kind of lands a punch. And them lying in bed together post-coital, she asks him why he's in therapy. He says, I'm really fucked up about women. After I sleep with them, I completely lose interest. Is <laughs> great. I mean, it's it's a great It's, it's a, a solid great punchline. Yeah. Right? Like, it's a solid, like... You can, you can see it coming, but I think it does still land. You're right. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's 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 one of those things where uh, every now and then the show does those sort of late night, uh, pillow talky kind of the dark of night, sort of dark soul of the, of the night <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and Carrie, and then him asking her why she's in therapy, and she turns over and says, I picked the wrong man. It's... It's a great, like, sobering. You can hear kind like a womp womp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's but it but it's also like for a brief instant you think Carrie learned something, and then but yeah, the, it it is kind of it does feel like uh, I would wonder why they never sent her back to therapy. I don't know. Maybe they just thought that those that it would not be interesting to like have her explain things that the show would rather show but i would even i would even go as far as to say have her date a therapist he doesn't need to be her therapist i mean just to show that like she's capable of um a little bit of introspection she's (laughs) it's so interesting because like she's obviously the most introspective character on television she spends literally vo talking about everything that's going on in her life um, but she can't see the forest for the trees, which I guess is part of the irony of the show, I guess. But yeah, it, it's it weird. It doesn't feel like she changes that much over the course of it, um, which uh, everybody else, everybody else does. But Carrie just kind of keeps on keeps on being selfish, like keeps on being like, you know, a, a good time gal and like winds up getting everything that she wants, whereas like. Miranda and Charlotte and Samantha each, I think, have a lot more growth. You know, Samantha learns to allow herself to be vulnerable and Miranda, like, also a similar thing, like, kind of lets her walls down and Charlotte becomes less superficial. But, like, Carrie just keeps on being Carrie and then is rewarded for it. So I can understand, like, at the when I watched it in high school, I was like, oh, this ending is, you know, so perfect. They finally end up together. I'm so happy. But, like, yeah, it does feel like she gets kind of shortchanged. And I don't know if that's because, like, as the point of view character, they don't want her point of view to change too much or what. But, yeah, she really doesn't grow or learn as much as everybody around her. You know, it's funny. It's funny. As you as you were saying that, I was thinking about um, one of my favorite episodes is Splat, which is uh, in, the, in the last Great season. Episode. 
it's a great episode and you get a phenomenal fight between uh, Carrie and Miranda at the end where Carrie says you're living in a fantasy. And then Carrie basically says, fuck you and gets on a, on a horse drawn carriage in Central Park. <laughs> with snow. Uh, and then, and then basically proves that Miranda was wrong. And that the fantasy is true and that she is living in a fantasy and it's all okay. Like, yeah. it's just, it's unfortunate that, um, to your point, that Carrie doesn't have a real come to Jesus moment. Um, it's, it's, I guess the closest thing is going to Paris with the wrong man. And realizing um, how, you know, she doesn't have, she doesn't have a life there. She doesn't have, she doesn't know yeah. anybody speak the language. Like those, ep- that, like the lead up to like when Big rescues her is really great. Cause it is kind of like, you see the air come out of her. Like it's, it's tough to watch, but like, she has to miss that, that book club meeting with those like very nice French people. Like it does feel like, yeah, she's got to have, she's going to have like a, like you said, it comes to Jesus, some kind of realization. Um, but no, then, then big arrives and he's on a white horse and, uh, and it winds that she goes back to her regular life and everything is just as she left it. Like it is, it is uh, yeah. an unsatisfying ending when you think about she it. She just, like she, she had to see a wine glass stain on her book uh, to, <laughs> to, to really see the error of her ways. Um, There's also yeah. the scene where she's like sitting next to a dog in a cafe. <laughs> And she gives him like half the the thing that she's eating. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's you know, it's it is interesting. I, I I feel like, and I don't even really want to talk about the movies at all. But I do think that because I do think that they don't they don't move the ball down the field at all, really. No, um, the movies are bad because they yeah. freeze everybody in amber and like are just wish fulfillment and like don't have any of the nuance of the show. I mean, that's that's commonly. You know, everybody yeah. who likes, I feel like if you really like the show, you can't like the movies. Yeah, it's it's funny. You know, the, the movies have, have come up pretty regularly in these episodes, as you can imagine. And and it does feel like there are some people where the movies just, um, they, they're, they exist. And like when they're on TV, people will watch them. Like, the, the, or at least the first one, it feels like it's widely known that the second one is garbage. Yeah. <laughs> But it, it's just, it's very interesting how sort of, um, how the other characters in, I mean, I think that last, that last run of, I think it's six episodes, which is sort of part two of season six, feels like a movie unto itself, right? You, you If you just chopped off the credits and put those all together, it could feel like a movie. Um, and it does a really great job of everyone feeling like they're growing except for Carrie. It's just, it is very interesting. Um so I, I I have to ask, what are your thoughts on the impending revival that is coming our way someday? And probably, I assume, I mean, they, they're claiming that we're getting it by the end of this season. I will be shocked if we get it by the end of 2021. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're starting to shoot in late spring, they said, right? So that's... Yeah, the room is, the room started last week, if I'm not mistaken, or two oh. weeks ago. So uh, I, I feel like, I feel like Little Red Riding Hood. Um, I feel excited and scared. <laughs> I... I can't wait. I love Sex in the City. I can't wait to watch new episodes. Like this, I I'm not a Gilmore Girls person, but I feel like this is probably how how they felt about the Netflix revival. It's like sure. it's not going to be the same. It's yeah. going to be missing a very important person. Like the fact that Kim mm-hmm. Cattrall's not in it at all is mm-hmm. uh, is going to change the chemistry a lot. Like I have sure. no idea how to 
how that's going to look like, because if it's just a show about Carrie, I feel like Sex and the City doesn't really work. Like the, the chemistry between the leads is so crucial. Um, so I, I expect, I expect not to like it, but I still really want to watch it. If that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. I, 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 think I was talking to down, someone. I'm oh, sorry, please. Oh, I was going to say that I think it will kind of come down to how they deal with Samantha, that that's going to be like very kind of symbolic or emblematic of the entire enterprise. Like, if they kill her versus like trying to replace her versus just like establishing in a storyline in the show that they're no longer friends with Samantha. And maybe the whole season is like explaining why that happened. Like that. I think that that would be a really interesting way for it to go. Um, But it would be very, it would be kind of dark and sad. And I don't know if sex in the city now, given the movies, which are the most recent sex in the city product we have, I don't know if, dark and interesting and complex is really what the people behind the show right now want the show to be like I I think they're going to make it something more colorful and punny and lean into the fashion and the glamour and all of that and if they do that then I guess you know it's going to be like the movies which we know how those turned out yeah I mean I'm 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 similar to you I'm I'm I am uh, I'll watch every episode. I'm excited to see what they do. I have barely any expectations for it. Like I, I, I think that it's, and I don't say that. I don't, I don't mean that to sound as shitty as maybe it does sound. I, I think that it's, um, to your point. I was talking to someone about this the other day that uh, if the show is about falling out from friends as you get older, and the idea that you know these women are. I think they're over 50 now, correct? Or everybody, I think everybody is at this point, yeah. Um, or at least in their late 40s. Um, you change as a person, right? You Friends fall out. Like, it's just, it's it's how it goes. And, and, and even if it's just they drifted apart, not necessarily yes. that there was, like, a big yes. fight. Like, that's interesting to me, to your point. Like, I, if, if this is about, and, and, and again, that doesn't, you don't need to make the entire run about that. But if you do kind of say, like, up top, like, we just had a falling out and, and you know, whatever, or or they decide to, you know, throw caution, throw her to, you know, Abu Dhabi or wherever the hell she decides <laughs> to land. Like, I, I guess that's and fine. like, the, the first episode is there at brunch and Charlotte's like, I can't believe Samantha went to the moon. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it feels like that's what it's going to end up being. I think we know that. And then they're just going to try to sort of, my feeling is they won't try to create another fourth person. I certainly hope that they don't try to do that. I, I'm I, I'm sure there will be other people that will sort of I guess fill they could that, have like Stanford you know. step up or something. Maybe that would feel like less unnatural. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I keep thinking about, you, you mentioned the, the Gilmore Girls revival. I have not watched all of Gilmore Girls. I watched the first two seasons, I think, and then I watched the revival. Uh, so I mean, whatever. But uh, I, the X Files is another one where it's like people were real excited for those revivals. Uh, they were, by and large, not great. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's a really been a revival that hasn't been disappointing, like primarily. <laughs> It does feel, and I, I wanted to posit this to you as well, because I talked about this a little bit on Twitter as I was watching the Sex and City movies, trying to think of a show that has transitioned to the big screen successfully. Um, there are arguments that the first X-Files movie was a successful transition to the screen and then coming back to, to television. That's pretty crazy that they were able to actually do that. Um, 
I can't really think of another one that's really done it particularly well. There are Serenity fans that would claim that 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 the the Firefly movie was a successful film uh, from television. Do yeah, you I guess, think that it worked? Um, yeah, I guess if you're if you're thinking about just TV shows that became movies, but not necessarily like the same cast, there are more options. But uh, right, 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 right. But yeah, that's different from what you're saying. So yeah, it's it's tough. It's, it's tough really because tough. I think that. I think that as an audience member, um, you approach a movie and a television show very differently. A television show that your friends in your literally in your TV room, like you're seeing checking in on them every week. A movie is this thing the size of a fucking building, and these people don't seem like real people anymore, um, or just different anyway. Um, I'm curious to see if this show can find the intimacy and the and the the genuine character moments again when it comes. I, mean, back I do think to- it's a good thing that it's going to be a limited series and not another movie. I, I think that. You know, in as much as there's a difference between movies and television anymore, which is less and less true, I do sure. think that the TV format fits, like you were saying, Sex and the City better, and that it will have a better shot of working if it's a if it's a half hour show again. I agree. So, do you, um, as I've been asking all of my guests, do you have a favorite character on Sex and the City, and why? Well, you you mentioned Splat, and uh, Kristen Johnson's character, uh, Lexi Featherton, is so great. Um, I would watch, I mean, forget the Sex and the City limited series. Like, I would watch a prequel that's about, like, Lexi in the 80s, just, like, at Studio 54 oh. or something. I feel like that would be so, or Tunnel, I don't know. What's, what's, what's like, the club in the 80s? I'm thinking about American Psycho. Um, but, yeah, I feel like that would be so fun. <laughs> Um, probably the episode, the episode that is closest to my heart, um, I feel like this is everybody's favorite episode is Hot Child in the City, um, where one of the, one of the subplots is that Samantha is doing Kat Dennings' bat mitzvah, uh, and maybe because when I started watching the show, I was, like, around bat mitzvah age, like, that really, really stuck with me, but I just, I think that her character is also really fun, um, if we're talking about, like, favorite minor characters, she's, like, really at the top there's like there's this like one line from her that like runs in my head every so often which is when like her and her friends they're all 13 obviously but they're like pretending that they're adults and they're like trying to act older and like InSync is performing at the bar mitzvah or something and one of her friends says that she thinks everybody at InSync is gay which you know one out of five isn't bad um but <laughs> but then cat cat dunning says who cares? I'd fuck him. I'd fuck him and his gay boyfriend. <laughs> and just like the delivery. She's amazing in that episode. She's, well, she's really great. so good in that episode. Yeah. Like she really, really is. I wish that there had been a show about her too. Just like the life of yeah, thirteen-year-old Samantha. I would. I mean, you should pitch a Lexi Featherstone <laughs> prequel show because I would. See this, so okay. Th- this this leads to, I guess, a, a, a sub question, which is, what are your thoughts on the Carrie Diaries? Because I actually really loved it, even if I felt like its canon got a little bit wonky. Um, yeah, it she was has so like a, So, so the Carrie Diaries. I think I I saw a couple of episodes of it. I did definitely read the Carrie Diaries book. There was there were at least a couple, and I think I read the first one. Um, and it's like I, I think it's like a it's like a cute idea, um, like to have Muppet Baby Sex in the City, um, even though it kind of threw out any of the continuity about Carrie's past that we knew, according to the show, because 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, according to the show, what? Like, she, her dad left her when she was a kid or something, but then yeah. on the Carrie Diary, she has a single dad. Am I getting that right? That's correct. She also has a sister named Dorit, and you think we would Wait. have her, met her sister. Dorit? Like, correct. like correct. little Dorit? Dorit? Why would her name be Dorit? Why would you, like, this is my daughter I, Carrie and my daughter Dorit? I Listen, I'm not, I, <laughs> I think that you kind of summed it up perfectly when you said that it's an endearing idea of Muppet Babies Carrie. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, Sophia, uh, is her name right? Sophia Rob? Isn't that her name? The, the, the oh, Anna Sophia Rob. Anna Sophia Rob, yes. Um, she's fantastic, even if she's never going to grow into looking like uh, <laughs> Parker. She's tremendous. I think that that all the casting is great. And if you can kind of turn your brain off to the fact that it doesn't totally connect on a, uh, a canon level or a, can- a canonical level, I just think that it was a really sweet show. I watched all two seasons of it. I think that it didn't really hit because i think it was i guess my point is if that show was on hbo max right now that thing would be running for for 15 years oh i, I think believe that, that yeah. it was a little too early in in that whole kind of wave that was coming um and the actress they found to play young samantha looked so frighteningly like a young kim control oh, i have to like look this up now you should look her up it's like did charlotte and miranda show up or did they not have time for they that? didn't show up but samantha shows up in season two and the actress is just it's unreal it's like uncanny, um, but yeah, it's a. Uh, it was it was a really sweet show, and I and and I quite liked it, and I wish that it that it had gone on for a little bit longer. But um, it it begs the question a little bit if this revival is going to find ways to create spinoffs and things like that, and and whether the the Carrie universe is going to grow. <laughs> Uh, it's it's hard to say. The MCU, the Miranda Carey universe. <laughs> the Miranda Carey universe, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this episode with me, Hillary. I really yeah, thanks so much for having me. This has been so much fun. One last thing, please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, Speaking of subscribing, check out our Patreon on all the best films of 1989, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Fabulous Baker Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Field of Dreams, Major League, and many, many more. We are covering all the best films of 1989 with amazing guests like Joanna Robinson, Liz Hanna, Hunter Covington, Brian Cogman, David Iserson, and many, many more. All your favorite guests from our 1999 podcast are coming on to the 1989 Patreon. You can sign up for it at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. For only $5, you get access to all of these awesome episodes. And for a few bucks more, you get video of our 1999 episodes as well. Plus, there are other very cool tiers too, where you can even be a guest on our podcast. Also, please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcast like it's. We're also on Twitter at podcast like it's. We're also on Instagram at podcast like it's. Thank you to Ernie and Will for producing our episode, Sullivan for our social media, Yonkatas for our artwork and theme songs. And most of all, thank you all for listening. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it's. You Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.